So once those two things are mastered and taken care of, there there is no more need to evolve through incarnation. Then at that point, you could choose to out of service and more evolved souls often, even though they have no more karma and they, they have graduated, they choose to come here to help others. But at that point, the, there's no need to, and that's how you can remove yourself from the evolutionary cycle. Hello, and welcome to Passion Harvest. I am Louisa, your host. Thank you so much for joining me wherever you are in the world right now. I'm so excited about our guest who's back on the show, RJ Spina. He healed himself from permanent paralysis. RJ Spina teaches that all your unrealized potential ill health and limited personal success will undergo complete transformation through the same process he used to heal himself of permanent chest down paralysis. His self-realization technique already completely changed and saved the lives of many across the globe. And his incredible revolutionary new book is called Change Your Mind, How to Change Your Life in Two Weeks. RJ Spina, welcome to Passion Harvest. Thank you for having me, Louise. It's my pleasure. A, a big, big congratulations on your latest book, Change Your Mind. Um I've read parts of it and I'm planning to read it all and it's kind of amazing. I'd love to dive into that. But first, I have to ask a question that no doubt you get asked all the time and the listeners are very interested. How do we never reincarnate again? A <laughs> <Yeah. laughs> <I> big <think> one. <laughs> yeah. Okay. So there's my my direct understanding. This this really relates to, to two things here. So, <clears throat> excuse me. <clears throat> the... The reason why we do get caught in the uh, the repetition, almost endless repetition, sometimes tens of thousands of incarnations, is karma. Now, the karma to me, right, is if you think of Spider-Man shooting his spider web. So the spider web, whatever Spider-Man attaches himself to, he's now stuck to that, a building, a tree. Our energy, karma, is the spider web. It is our addiction or attachment to anything here. So that is what causes this sort of endless cycle. So it's not enjoying ourselves or enjoying our friends, our family. It's not that. I'm talking about addiction or attachment when your energy is actually stuck to it. So once your energy is stuck to something here, where are you going? Nowhere. So you can only unstuck <laughs> yourself in the place that you got stuck. So hence, you have to keep coming back here because part of your energy is stuck to whatever it is you got addicted to or attached to. So we must release all identifications. So non-identification is the key because that releases all energetic attachments and addictions. To, to, to know the self through detachment by not identifying with anything, anyone, the body, beliefs, circumstances, experiences, bodily sensations, knowledge, status, material wealth. Uh, there's a bunch, right? So non-identification with those things doesn't mean we can't enjoy those things because that's not what I'm saying. What I'm saying is the addiction or attachment. So once we no longer identify with any of that, including this, the suit, there is no more karma. Now, the other part of this though, which I, I don't think is uh, generally talked about or not probably not talked about at all and certainly not understood. It has to do with <clears throat> the accrual and the deepening of sentience. Now, sentience 
is what we really are. We are uh, an indirect fractal of God, a divine intelligence, which is really our level or amount or weight of love and wisdom whose subsets are our talents and abilities that is given energy to create with. Okay. Now, part of evolving, the higher self evolving itself, because we're an aspect, a projection of the higher self, part of the higher self evolving itself so it can move up within the multiverse because you move up the multiverse based upon your level of sentience. So there's a certain amount or weight or level of sentience that has to be accrued. It has to be sufficient in order to never have to come back here again. So it's those two things. So it's kind of like, um, let, me, let me find a silly analogy. So to graduate college, right? We have to have a certain amount of credits, right? I, I believe I'm old. That's how it used to work. So um, we have to have, a, a certain amount of sentience uh, to quote unquote graduate past the need to ever have to incarnate. So it's those two things. It's detachment, so there is no karma, and it is the accrual or deepening of our love and wisdom. And once we reach a certain level of our own sentience, there's really nothing here that we would necessarily learn from that is new, any type of experience, whatever that may be within any timeline incarnating with any different kind of form, et cetera, et cetera. So once those two things are mastered and taken care of, there, there is no more need, need to evolve through incarnation. Then at that point, you could choose to out of service and more evolved souls often, even though they have no more karma and they, they have graduated, they choose to come here to help others. But at that point, the, there's no need to, and that's how you can remove yourself from the evolutionary cycle. Beautiful. I mean, I just love the way you explain things, but I'm just putting it in my simple terms from what I understand. And it sounds easy, but it's almost a detachment from anything. It doesn't mean you don't love people or enjoy certain things, but you don't need them to complete you, to make you happy. Yeah. That, Would that that's be exact... correct? Yeah, Louisa, you, you got it. So the the ego mind identity, the EMI, <clears throat> when it thinks of detachment, okay, everything the ego mind does is, is conceptual. Okay, so every everything is a thought, a belief, an ideology, a concept, a role, right? So there's no tangibility in that. Okay, so when, when we talk about detachment, the ego mind identity associates that with not caring about anything, not being involved in anything, having no passion, having no love, no excitement, no happy. I'm just so detached. I just sit in my room, don't do anything, meditate, right? It's the opposite. It's the absolute opposite. When you're detached, what you're actually experiencing, instead of having your energy stuck to this, that, him, her, this belief, this circumstance, this bodily sensation, this experience, when you're detached, what you're actually experiencing continually is, is the majesty and the awe of the I am, of the sentience, which is all your love, all your wisdom, all your power, all your forgiveness, all your courage, all your compassion. So it's just the opposite of how the ego mind identi identity conceptualizes and therefore intellectualizes what it can never actually tangibly have a felt sense truth or understanding of. So detachment allows you to experience the depth of yourself and the self contains everything. And so upon authentic detachment, you're not emotionless or lifeless. I, I mean, I mean, I'm sort of the opposite of that, right? So that's what starts to happen. Everything that you really are, all those innate qualities come online. And, and that's really the key.
Beautiful, which kind of leads me to your new book, Change Your Mind. Can we really change our life in three weeks? Yeah, absolutely. Uh, I've seen people do this uh, over and over and over again. So the, the key, the real key from my direct experience with myself and with working with thousands and thousands of people over the last, I guess, seven, it's more than seven years now. Um, we have to understand what is motivating and driving our actions and behaviors. Now, for most of us or nearly all of us, we are operating on autopilot, right? The hamster wheel of life, right? We don't even really know why we're striving for certain things. It's just because that's what everyone does here, right? You fall into the conditioning and the brainwashing, the pattern subconscious ego of mind. You fall into it because it's actually indented within your body of energy and it actually becomes imprinted within the layers of your, of your subconscious mind, the body, the, the layers of your subtle bodies of energy, which we talk about in the book. So most of what we're doing has nothing to do with our true desire at all, has nothing to do with it. We're simply going along because we haven't reclaimed our own sovereignty by examining what it is that's truly motivating our behavior. Now, once we understand what is truly motivating our behavior and we see it, we bring the subconscious into the conscious mind, at that moment, we can see it clearly because 95% of reality creation is comes from the subconscious mind, which consciously we don't have any access to. So by doing the exercises that the 14-day notebook exercise you actually uncover what is driving all of your behavior and actions. And once you see that program that you're running consciously, you can then delete it just like an unwanted program off your computer. And the moment that you do that, you're regaining your own sovereignty and you're reclaiming your own mind. And that's really the key to own your own mind. And the only way to do that is to deprogram the subconscious pattern mind. And we can absolutely do this in two weeks, I've seen people do it. You have to be diligent about it. You have to follow the instructions. But once you do it, uh, I've had people do this do this exercise. And in about 36 hours, they contact me. And they're like, they're like, RJ, I have never felt like this in my entire life. I have never felt this light, this free, this empowered. And I've only been doing it a day and a half. So yeah, and, and anybody can do it. And then it only does take two weeks. And they, I mean... We get in such habits. I'm just going to give a very simple example, and I'm doing basic here. <laughs> but I was inspired one day, and I moved my whole kitchen around, like the cupboards and where things go. And I watched myself for maybe two weeks. I'd open a cupboard to go to put something away, but I'd forgotten that it had changed. Or I was in that habit. My body, my mind was in that habit of that behavior. Yeah, yeah. our whole life, Louisa, is memorized. And we, and this is exactly what I'm talking about. We don't realize this because we are really operating on autopilot. The rational thinking mind has only about a 5% sway in terms of the life that you create. So your thoughts and emotions literally have very little effect on your reality. It is 95% subconscious mind. Now, if we looked at what you just said, and if we could see this with the higher mind, which is possible, we would actually see all these indentations. So the subconscious mind is, think of it like a tape recorder. Every single moment, every single experience of every life you've ever had, you're having now, all the parallel conditions, all the lives that you're going to have are actually embedded within the subconscious mind. 
their memories. It's the greatest storage device, greatest recording device ever that's ever been created. And it goes beyond just what we pick up with our five physical senses. Our more subtle bodies of energy are picking up information. And these, these informations, as I talk about in the book, they're like little marbles on the bedspread. Every single moment is leaving an indentation within your, within your body of energy. Now that is stored in the subconscious and this is what we call memory. So our entire life is memorized. If you look, if you look at everything, you don't have to, you don't have to think to understand any word that I'm saying. Wash yourself, feed yourself, clothe yourself, you know where everything is in your house. You know, when you get in your car, you know how to drive. When you see a couch, you know how to sit. When you see a cup, you know how to drink from it. When you see a pencil, you know how to use it. Just really sit with this for a second because the entire life is memorized. We're not supposed to use our rational thinking mind to think about everything because the subconscious mind already takes care of it. We don't have to do any of that. It's done. So really what the, the idea is to reclaim your own mind by being connected to your higher mind and being inspired to create the life that you want because the memorization of everything is already taken care of. So it doesn't require any conscious thought or effort in terms of how to actually lead your life because it's done. What, what we're meant to do is to create a life through divine inspiration and let the subconscious mind take care of the memorization, which it does automatically. I love it. It's almost like rebooting or rewiring the system. What's the difference between you talk about the, the higher mind and the subconscious mind and the ego? What are the differences for the audience? And for me. So, so, <laughs> sure. Yeah. Okay. So the, <clears throat> the higher mind, all of these things are projections of the higher mind or the higher self. Okay. There are, there are aspects of that. So we'll, let, let's work backwards. So <clears throat> the ego mind, right, is, is really our, what I call our ego mind identity. That, that is the rational finite thinking mind, the ego mind identity identification. And the foundation of the identification is identification with your form, the suit which then reduces you to body consciousness, what I call body consciousness, which is then just five senses and the intellect. So now we're this immortal, unlimited, divine, immortal creator being that has literally reduced itself to the identification with a suit that has very limited uh, mobility functionality and only has five physical senses that pick up on a very narrow bandwidth. And then that's the data stream that comes in that forms the intellect. Now, your identification, ego mind identity, your identification to the things that are within what I just said become your ego mind. It's how we operate, and we can only think about what we've identified ourselves with. So that's the ego mind. Subconscious mind, if we actually looked at it, <clears throat> our, our physical body of energy, which is still just energy, and our more subtle bodies of energy, and you can think of as an image, it's because it's silly, as an image, think of a, think of a seven-layer cake, right? So we have all those layers. Okay. And now we can think of the chakras. So we have all we have all these different layers within our subtle body of energy. Now, that's really what I call the energetic bedspread. And everything that is going on, right, leaves a mark, an indentation. Just like if you have a bedspread and you drop a marble on it, and you look at that bedspread right where the marble dropped, the bedspread goes down just a little, Right. So every single thing that is going on, even the things that are going on beyond physical sensory perception, is leaving a marble within our energetic bedspread, an indentation within it, right? And it becomes a memory. And now our energy works through that. Now, all of that subtle body of energy and seven-layer cake is actually the information or what the subconscious mind uses for its storage device. 
So all of that is being fed into the subconscious. So every so that's why we do or try to do hypnotherapy, to go back to these memories, to these things that happened as a child or another lifetime, because it's exactly what I'm talking about. It's it's literally embedded a marble on your energetic bedspread. And all of those memories are your that is what your subconscious mind actually is. And it's part of the subtle bodies of energy and including including this body of energy. Now, all of that is contained within and a projection of the higher mind. The, hi the higher mind contains all of that. And that's those things are all aspects or projections when we actually incarnate. That's what the higher mind uses in order for the subconscious mind to be able to function properly. And then the ego mind that we use to navigate our existence here. And really the, 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 the highest use of the ego mind, if, that all, if all that makes sense, yeah. the highest use of the ego mind is really just to keep the physical vehicle intact. It's not to create an identity. It's not to create a limitation program. It's, it's, it's so we're aware enough that we don't walk out to the middle of the street and get run over by a car or you know walk up to a lion and get eaten by, you know, et cetera, et cetera. It's to keep the physical vehicle intact. The ego mind is meant to be a servant to the higher mind. And the higher mind, when used properly, like in the book, will have access to the subconscious patterned mind. And at that point, once it has access to the subconscious mind, not only can it delete all these programs of limitation that it runs, it can actually access all these different incarnations, all these different parallel conditions, and all this different information that's contained within the subconscious mind. And it can actually read it like a book. And once we do that, then the, the superhuman is online. That's the supreme intelligence that we allow into our life. If we operate backwards from ego mind to subconscious mind to higher mind, this is what the superhuman starts to look like mind-blowing and, and incredibly complex and it's just unbelievable you've created this book and tools and techniques to assist all these people so when we die or when we incarnate or whether it's all happening now we take I'm going to call it baggage we take all the imprints with us in our energetic body is that correct uh you can we're, we're not wiped clean once we die and then reincarnate. No, no, nothing is ever lost, nothing is ever thrown away. That's a big misperception, misunderstanding, and mis misidentification, the, the, the trifecta of, of misses. So uh nothing is lost because everything is useful. And I think one of the one of the biggest misunderstandings um about what we call death, which is no such thing, it's just a transition, is that when we die when we leave our body, right? The ego mind, we leave the ego mind identity and we, we become what we really are, right? T tangibly, but just the I am. A authentic enlightenment self-realization is actually the opposite. It's the opposite of, of what everyone talks about. So when you when you no longer identify, right? With, with the ego mind identity and there is authentic enlightenment or full, full communion with your higher self, when you actually merge once again with your higher self your individuality is gone and what remains are all the characters all the different ego mind identities of all the different incarnations that you have are having and are going to have are actually there so this this individualizedness is gone and what remains are all the residuals just what you were talking about what remains are all the residuals of all the different uh, ego mind identities and incarnations because it's useful. 
it's useful. And when I say it's useful, it's useful for another incarnation. So let's say in some incarnation, uh, well, I won't be too specific. So let's say in an incarnation, you were, uh, you, you had a very outgoing personality and um, you had a, a very strong will, you were very resilient in this certain personality, right? Certain incarnation, excuse me. And so with another incarnation, those aspects would be very useful or could be very useful in terms of helping you achieve what it is that you're trying to achieve in this other incarnation. So you would then garner or pull with you or take with you some of those energetic qualities because they might be helpful in the next incarnation, the challenges and the obstacles and what it is that you want to learn and experience in that one. So that's actually what remains. It's the opposite of what everyone talks about. The ego mind, there is no more individualized self. When you're in full communion, you realize all of it is you and you're all of it. All of these characters are you and, and you are all these characters. There's no more individualization whatsoever. The wave has crashed and has remerged with the ocean. It's oneness. But what does remain are all these things that we just talked about, which are these uh, identifications, indentations, and ego personalities, because they're actually they're actually useful. Thanks, RJ. So also just to clarify, when you talk about the whole higher self, could that also be called this what we refer to as the soul? Uh, no, so <clears throat> my understanding that word soul has been around forever, right forever. I know okay. it's yeah. So my understanding is that what we call the soul, right, is really two very distinct uh quote unquote separate things. Okay. So what we really are is what I call sentience or what we've heard the term I am, right? The sentience, the I am is a divine intelligence. It is our level of love and wisdom whose subsets are our talents and abilities. Now that that's the that's the God. The I am is the God. Think of God as a gigantic this is ridiculous, but think of God as a gigantic glass of, uh, right? Glass of water, gigantic glass of water, right? Now take one drop, one drop of that water out, right? Just one tiny drop. Now that one drop is water. It's just like that water in there. It's just less in volume. Now we are the drop. We are a drop of God. Now directly, we are the sentience, a divine intelligence, our level of love and wisdom who subsets our talents and abilities. Now that has been given an allotment or an amount of energy in order to create with. Now, just like the painter is not the painting, we are not what we create, but we tend to lose ourselves in our creation. Specifically, we lose ourselves in our incarnation. I think this is what we really are. So now, historically, the soul has been putting those two things together, the sentience and the energy, as if it's one thing, and we call that the soul. It's my direct experience. That's not accurate. We are the sentience that is given energy, which is why the painter is not the painting. We are not what we create. We are the creator and the creator awareness of what we create. Now, the higher self is the much larger being that we actually are. So here's another silly analogy. So think of an octopus, right? I, I know it's my fist, but think of an octopus. And if the octopus wants to know what the water is like a little down below, it drops a tentacle and does that, right? Okay. We are that tentacle, a projection, an aspect of our higher self. Again, that same analogy about being a drop within the bucket of water, we are two and a half, 
my direct experience is that we are two and a half percent of our higher self. We are our higher self, just less in volume. Our higher self is an aspect of God, also just less in volume. You can even think of like those nesting dolls, the doll within the doll within the doll within the doll. That's really how it works. And everything is learning about itself as we create, including the ultimate creator. So everything is learning about itself. So the higher self is what we are. The soul is a term that we've used for eons and eons of time. Hopefully we'll start to move past it. We can be a little bit more accurate and understand that what we are is the sentience, which is the divine intelligence that's given energy to create. And most of us, when we put those two things together, that's what we refer to as the soul. Thank you. Gosh, we take our what we perceive as our reality so seriously, don't we? Well, uh, not you. <laughs> most people. <laughs> we do because we identify with it. Mm. Right? And is that so? If, sorry. Yeah, that if we if we realized if we tangibly, not mentally, mental understandings aren't worth anything. If we tangibly realized that everything is playtime, that we're just creating and we endlessly create and we are immortal and no one ever dies. We just keep going from different experience to different experience to different experience, but it's really playtime. And we learn about ourselves through what it is that we create. And it really is play. Now I, I understand what goes on here in the lower frequencies of our version of earth. Uh, we would be hard-pressed to consider this play that's from a very limited human perspective that doesn't see the larger picture. Now, when we start to see the larger picture, we realize that this is all an act. It is all an act. It's a, <laughs> all the world's a stage. So we come here to be able to play a character so we can have certain experiences so we can learn about ourselves through the experiences. But if we step back, we would realize that this realm is still playtime. We're still just creating with our energy. Now, we may be creating, again, from a human perspective, we may be creating horrifying circumstances, events. I'm not certainly not saying that those things don't occur. They, they absolutely do. But I'm also saying that these are co-created by everyone and that no one actually dies. Now, this is the only place we can have these kind of experiences. Because as you move up, the ascendant frequency is back there, right? As you move up the frequencies, <laughs> the holistic nature of the environment and the oneness starts to become more and more tangible and more and more obvious. And then at a certain point, and it's actually the seventh frequency, at a certain point, we're in the third frequency. At, at, at the seventh frequency, there's no more what we would call, from a human perspective, what we would call violence or aggression, because the oneness is so tangible, you can't have ill intention towards anything or anyone because you actually realize it's it's you, it's part of you. Now, because we're down here, the energies are more dense. And so we feel the separation more heavy. It's We can still cause atrocities to ourselves through the ego mind identity and to others because the oneness isn't tangibly known. Lots of people walk around talking about we're all one, especially in the spiritual community. And I can't stand that word spiritual because it's been hijacked completely but there's lots of love and light. We're all one. And it's just a concept. It's useless. When it's tangibly known, this is when this planet will change. And this is when everyone will operate completely differently. But it's it's pointless to talk about it conceptually. It must be a tangible felt sense knowingness. And within the seventh frequency is when this, when this starts to happen. 
I've just got one more question that I want to move on. Do you, and it's a big one, but I'm sorry. You spoke about incarnation and reincarnation and death. It is, is it your belief that it's all happening now? Well, it's not a belief. Uh, so I talk about what I experienced directly. Uh, beliefs are what we use when we don't know. And that's where we decide to believe things. And we've fallen so far frequently and we've left our knowingness behind and swapped them for beliefs. So what I share is what I know, what I tangibly experience. So I don't have any beliefs. But what I would say is that it is all happening at one time. But this, this is very, very difficult to understand while we're within what we call space-time. Because there's a logic and linearity program, which are the subsets of space-time. It's, it's, it's how our finite mind works, right? Everything happens in a linear fashion, right? And if it doesn't make sense, we can't process it. Okay, that is a sliver of how things actually are. That's not how things are. That's how our human mind within the lower frequencies processes and creates the reality. It's this much of what's going on, this much. So I'll give the direct answer about this, but it's very hard for the mind to grasp it. And this is why everything is meant to be experienced tangibly. Okay, so the higher self, the octopus, the higher self is from a human perspective outside of space-time. And so it projects pieces of itself within space-time. So within space-time, you and I, we can't understand nor tangibly experience that everything is happening all at once. It's impossible. You would have to remove yourself from it and then see it all occurring, all at once, all interconnected, everything happening right now because there is only now. And that statement, it's now or never, is so true if we really felt into that statement. It's now or it's never. It's past, future, just in a state of delusion. So when we start to leave behind body consciousness, which is identification with the five physical senses, and therefore that's the data stream that produces the logic and linearity program of the intellect, and we move past that and we realize that that is just a sliver of what is. It isn't what is. It's a sliver of what is. So everything is actually occurring there's only been one moment of creation seen from an infinite amount of perspectives and it's occurring right now there's no there's only now a rolling now if that makes sense now the now the now the now but from where we are it's impossible to have that experience using using the finite using the subconscious pattern the egoic mind we one must use the higher mind one must remove itself from space time and almost look down at it. Think of a rubber band ball. And each one of those rubber bands is like a timeline. And they're all in the same space. They're all intermingling. They're all influencing one another. And it's it's all happening right now. Now it's an analogy, but that's a decent, that's a decent one. And <clears throat> excuse me, if you go beyond space-time, you can actually see it. You can actually see all that happening so yes it's all happening right now but all of our incarnations just to make it even crazier <laughs> our higher self can only project 12 pieces of itself at any single now moment because it has to maintain about 70 percent of its sentience at its energetic volume or just like a balloon losing helium it'll start to it'll start to drop down and the whole point is to ascend the the frequencies and dimensions of the multiverse and the key fob of that is your sentience so it can project 12 pieces of itself 
And those 12 pieces can also break itself off into 12 pieces. So the higher self in any single moment can have 144 incarnations happening within space-time, within space-time. And then at that point, if it wants to keep going, it has to pull back one of those in order to project it again into that rubber band ball. Now, from that perspective, it would seem like everything is not happening all at once. But again, that has to do with the limitations of logic, linearity, and space-time. So it's kind of like two answers, and you really have to lose your mind to be able to experience these things. But that that is what I experienced directly. And, it, and we can say that it is all happening right now because there is really only now. Yeah, mind-blowing. I mean, it feels right for me, mind-blowing. Um, what are some of the tools you, uh, for those who haven't read your book, Change Your Mind, what are some of the tools you can offer the audience in the book that to change their life, that some of the steps you can offer to change their life in two weeks? Yeah, so th this is something that I, I was trying to remember the other day. Someone was asking, when did I, when did I start doing this? It was something about uh, roughly 14 or 15 years ago. And I, I, I could just feel that my life wasn't my own, right? All these desires and intentions and these things that I was striving for didn't feel like they were coming from me. So I was determined to have self-sovereignty, to, to wake myself up. And I, I realized at that moment, the only way that I would actually be able to reclaim my mind, reclaim my life is to figure out why I'm doing everything that I'm doing. Why am I doing this? Why, why am I taking these actions? Why have I developed these behaviors? Why do I have these certain desires and intentions that pretty much everyone on this planet has? It doesn't feel right. There's no authenticity. There's no uniqueness at all. So I've determined that if I questioned myself, like a lunatic, if I questioned myself about every single thing that I'm doing and kept asking, well, why do I think that? Why do I feel that way? I would get to the core motivation. I would get to the subconscious pattern, egoic mind, and all these things that have been implanted into our head and make them a mistake. That's exactly how that works. So I woke up, I, I decided for two weeks, all I'm going to do is deprogram myself, right? I need to liberate myself and I'm willing to do anything to liberate myself. So I, I told my partner, I said, hey, well, I'm going to take two weeks off. She's like, great, we're going to go on vacation Nope, I'm actually gonna uh, deprogram deprogram my subconscious mind. So, so right, and me saying that to you, oh, that makes sense. Okay, so here's here's how it works, right? You get a notebook, <clears throat> and I still have mine, and you you catch you you start to monitor what it is that you're doing. So the the very first morning that I started to do this, it's so simple, but it's it's so liberating. There's no way to there's no words to describe it. So I woke up the first morning of these two weeks that I was going to understand everything that I'm doing. Why am I doing this? Why do I feel this way? Why do I think this way? Why am I taking these actions? So the very first morning I woke up, I slept with my notebook. I did. So I woke up, took my notebook. I went into the, I had to go to the bathroom. So I walked to the bathroom and I catch a, a, a glimpse of my reflection and in the bathroom. Without thinking at all, I reach for a brush and start, my hair was a mess. I start brushing my hair. Right. And I'm like, whoa, whoa, what, wait, what just happened here? What just happened? I'm doing something. I have no conscious sort of choice that I'm even doing it. It was beyond reflexive. So I stopped. Right. And I wrote down brushing my hair. 
right? Here's an action. Here's a behavior. I have no idea why I'm doing it. I just started doing it. So I said, why am I brushing my hair? Right? The answer is because it's a mess. Okay. That's not why. That's a justification. Right? Okay. So that's not the core motivation. That's a justification. Most of us stop at justifications. Okay. I was determined to get to the core. So I wrote down because my hair is a mess. Then I asked myself, well, why do I care if my hair is a mess? The answer is because I want it to look good. Another justification. That's a justification, right? So I wrote down, why do I care if my hair looks good? The answer I got was, so other people find me attractive. Ah, okay. Now, now I'm getting somewhere. Now, And I could feel it. It was almost like an egg cracking. So other people find me attractive. Okay, why do I care if other people find me attractive? The answer I got was because I get a sense of my own self-worth through other people's opinion of me. I felt like my mind exploded, Louisa. I literally felt like my mind exploded. That was 100% subconscious pattern ego of mine. That was programmed into me to get a sense of myself through societal conditioning. And I was doing that action with no conscious awareness at all. And I was just doing it, right? So as soon as I wrote that down, I literally felt like, like my brain, like someone had just sort of ripped it open a little bit. And once I saw that I was doing that action to get a sense of myself from other people's opinion of me in that moment, I never had to obey or do it because of that reason, because I saw it clearly. I saw that I was getting a sense of myself from other people. That is completely subconscious ego of mine. I wrote that down. And in that moment that I wrote that down, by writing it down, by bringing that subconscious into the conscious, it's like deleting a program off your computer that no longer serves you. And in that moment, it was gone. Now, I've brushed my hair since then, okay? but I don't brush my hair so other people think I'm attractive because I get a sense of myself from other people's opinion of me. I brush my hair because I want to, or I don't brush my hair if I don't want to. Now, what is the big deal about that? Freedom and sovereignty is the big deal about that. I am no longer programmed. That's the key. So by understanding the core motivation, and all you have to do is ask, why do I think that way? Why do I feel that way? You start doing this with all your actions, you won't believe that none of your life is your own. None of it. Zero. And this was what was happening for me. And by the end of the two weeks, I was free. And I mean it. I was free. I was liberated. Every I owned my mind once again. Sovereignty and freedom was tangible once again. I was not a programmed slave at all. And the only way to do it is to understand what is driving your behavior. And it's as simple as the 14-day, I just call it the 14-day notebook exercise because I didn't think of anything more impressive to call it. So you just ask yourself why you're doing this. Why do I think that way? Why do I feel that way? And if you're brave enough and honest enough and you go past the justification, right? because I want it to look good, that's not the, that's not the reason, that's a justification. And you get to the truth. Once you get to the truth, you'll liberate yourself. And then you have your sovereignty and your freedom. And at that moment, you can live like your true self. And that is that is the whole point. So that's the that's the first third of the uh, 
RJ, I'll change I, your mind. I yeah. love that. It's so powerful and so simple. It's 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 amazing. So you took your notebook every. You must have done a lot of writing. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, for <clears throat> excuse me. Yeah, for I mean, literally for two weeks, everything. And I, and I kept my personal, uh, as you read, my my personal um, things that I did. One of them was brush. That was the first thing that happened for me, mm-hmm. brushing my hair. That was one about text messaging a friend and this and that. I. I wrote down everything that I was doing because I realized very simply and very quickly that this wasn't my life. I was not leading my life. This was, this was someone else's or the, the matrix. This was not my life. And until you see it clearly, you can only recycle your experiences. But once you see it clearly and you delete that program off your own hard drive, now you can create your life with sovereignty and freedom. And this is what we're all meant to do. And so, I mean, you have to dive deep. You may have asked lots of questions, but once you have that realization, it it offers you the freedom. It, the, that program is deleted or cleared. Yeah, the the whole key. It, it's what I found is that in general, we have to ask ourselves once we once we see ourselves doing an action or behavior, we have to ask ourselves why we really think that way or why we really feel that way about four times. Sometimes five, because like I said, the first two, why am I brushing my hair? Because it's a mess. That's not a core yeah. motivation. That's a justification, right? And also, so I want it to look good. That is a justification. That's not a core motivation. So all anybody has, and I've taught, I don't know how many people I've taught to do, you know, this, what I call the 14-day notebook exercise when I when I used to work with people one-on-one. I said, you do this for 14 days, you, you, you will be free. You'll have your life back. All you have to do, write it down, then ask yourself, why do I think that way? And I, I promise you, 30 seconds, 45 seconds, you know, whatever it is, right? You will delete that program. The key is to just go past the justifications because it looks good. Oh, that's why I brush my hair. So it looks good. No, keep going. And when you start to get close to the core motivate, you'll, fe- you'll tangibly feel something happening to you. You'll tangibly feel it because these indentations within the energetic bedspread, those marbles are starting to be released. They're literally starting to come off of you. The empowerment and the tangible sense of your own sovereignty and freedom is unlike anything else. And the, this book means a lot to me. And it's the, the reason why it's I feel it's a worthy sequel to Supercharged Self-Healing. This is the book that everyone needs to do. If you want to remove all the limitations in your life, this book will literally show you step-by-step step how to do it. Amazing. Well, I encourage everyone to go and purchase the book I'm so excited I'm starting tomorrow. Just one question. As we're writing in the journal, it doesn't necessarily have to be actions. Can it be thoughts that come into your mind repetitively about people or events or situations? Why am I thinking that? Yeah, absolutely. Because it, it'll be some form of the subconscious pattern ego of mine. Absolutely. So if you find yourself repetitively thinking about whatever, and the whatever doesn't matter. But if we find ourselves repetitively, why do I why do I think this way? Why do I feel that way? Why do I keep thinking about this? Why does this feel so important to me? You will you will be floored at what comes up because remember the subconscious, our conscious mind has no access to it. So we're all day long, all lifetime, we're doing these things. We don't even know why we're doing it. Oh, I have to make money. Oh, I have to be, do this. Or I have to. Where does that come from? That's not you. That's the program. The key is to get to you and delete this program of limitation because that's what this is here. 
So yes, thoughts, emotions, scenarios in your head, right? About, uh, you know, a relationship that, whatever, whatever it might be. (laughs) Yeah. And you, why am I replaying this? And, and we can now realize that this is an indentation that's been left within our body of energy that's now stored within our subconscious. And because that marble is still there, our energy keeps running along it. So therefore we keep thinking about it, emoting about it, taking actions about it, because those indentations, the marbles on the bedspread are still there. So whatever marbles that we still have within our subtle body of energy become the, the, the storage, the, uh, they became they become stored within the subconscious pattern egoic mind. The energy, because they're pressing down on your energy, they leave an imprint. So that's why we go on over and over and over these things. And now we can also, so to speak, see how the letting go or the disengagement or the non-identification of these things, how non-identification or detachment is absolutely essential for liberation or what we call self-realization. You can't have all of these things on you and be free. So this, all these books and teachings, all this, all this stuff is about self-realization or enlightenment. Of course. But they're directed, yeah, they're directed towards how to heal yourself or how to deprogram all your limitations. Absolutely amazing. My gosh, I'm just visualizing it now. We're carrying all these bags on top of us. It's just so heavy. I'm looking forward to my liberation. Gosh, mm-hmm. I love having you on the show, RJ. Is there anything else you'd like to share with the Passion Harvest audience that I haven't asked you? Yeah, there's uh, the the book itself. It kind of is written in sort of three parts, right? So the first part is under. I detail the subconscious mind from a higher consciousness perspective. I talk about the energies, the bedspreads, and the marbles. So then we go into the 14-day notebook challenge. So if you want to liberate yourself from all of your undesired results and experiences, recycling them over and over again, stuck on the hamster wheel, just do that. The next part of the book. <clears throat> shows you what the real you is, really what the real you is. And it gives you things that you can do to make sure that this real you, now that you've deprogrammed the, the false you, that the real you, you can maintain and express this real you. And it, the real you has certain qualities and attributes. And I talk about the universal qualities and attributes of the real you. And then what it is to do to foster the anchoring of this within your life. The third part of the book is something that I call the, uh, and this one has a fancy name, the energy energy diagnostic system. So, which is probably cooler than the 14-day notebookers, whatever. So there's something I call the energy diagnostic system. Now, this is super important because a lot of us, we're in a relationship or a job, or we have friends, or there's certain circumstances or events that we're doing all the t- time. And sometimes we wonder, is this is this really good for me? Me hanging out with these with these friends, is this really good? Is this relationship really good for me? Is this job, I know it gives me a paycheck, but is this job really good for me? So there's an energy diagnostic system. You ask yourself five simple questions in regards to whether it's a person, a place, a circumstance, an event, or a behavior. And you're going to be able to quantifiably measure if any one of those things is actually increasing your energetic bank account and therefore raising your frequency, or if any one of those things is decreasing your energetic bank account and therefore lowering your frequency. So with the energy diagnostic system, you're going to be able to figure out every single facet of your life if it is actually quote unquote good for you or not good for you. Because most of what we do is just our programmed mind. And then we justify 
why we continue with a job, with a relationship, with a circumstance, with a behavior, why we just justify this energy diagnostic system will give you a quantifiable metric that will let you know, yes, this relationship is good for me, or no, this relationship is not good for me. So we no longer have to wonder at all. It's tangible, quantifiable, and measurable. I don't know what to say. Amazing. It's it's simple but fantastic. So a big congratulations on your book. And thank you so much for being back on Patient Harvest. It's my pleasure. I enjoy speaking with you. Thank you so much. Thank you so much for having me. Oh, my pleasure. Bye-bye. If you liked this episode, please do subscribe for weekly passionate inspirational interviews.